I feel like people are way too attached to their cell phones. But when I call my daughters and they put me into voicemail, and I know very well they can see who it is, and I just go right into voicemail. I, I'm just, I get a little irritated. It's like, you know, why can't they be more accessible to their father? Amen. So here is the thought that I had this morning. The average person checks their cell phone 90 times a day. I told that to my son and he said, I think it's way more than that. <laughs> what if we checked in with God 90 times a day? What if, without really intentionally doing it, we keep putting God in voicemail? That God's trying to speak, and we just, we're, we're, we're too occupied with other things. So here's what fa- prayer and fasting is. It is a special time set apart to train ourselves to let go of temporal things so that we can grab a hold of eternal things, not just for that week, but more and more as a lifestyle to be more accessible to the eternal and less accessible to the temporal. And so I am encouraging everyone, every family, every child in this church to participate this week. What is it that grabs you and holds your free time? I'm encouraging you to fast it this week. Let go of it this week. Fasting often involves food, and some of us are going to do food, and but it can be letting go of anything temporal. The whole idea of of food is is letting go, not just of the food, but of the time it takes to prepare it and to eat it and da-da-da-da-da. And instead, fasting always goes with prayer. Fasting without prayer is called a diet. So we're letting go of something to grab hold of something else. So whatever you decide, I, I can go without this this week. Come to the prayer meetings. Grab hold of the eternal. God is going to meet with us this week, 6.30 to 8 each night. There's a theme on Friday night. We have a celebration supper after the whole thing. But I'm just, I'm really encouraging us this week. Let's not put God in voicemail. Let's open up our hearts, open up our lives and say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Okay. Could we stand together in honor of God's word? First Chronicles chapter 13, verses one through four. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they may meet with us. And let us, let us bring back the ark of our God to us. 
for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Would you please agree with me in prayer? Lord, today's message is about us. It's not about me. It's not about what I, my vision is for the church, what I'd like to do with the church and where I think the church is going. Lord, this is about us. It's about what you want to do, what you made this church for. Help us to hear your voice. Please hide me today behind your cross. Who cares what Tom wants to do or what Tom thinks would be good? Jesus, you are building your church. We need to hear you today. Help, help us to not be distracted. But hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, help the fire burning in me not be so strong that people just get defensive. Help me to present this message because this is, this is your heart. Please help us. We love you. We thank you. And Lord, I'm just believing you're going to do this before we even get started. I just, I'm already thanking you for what you're going to do today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is A Place for His Presence. This is the first message I preached at City Church, December 5th, 2010, because this is the purpose for City Church. This is why City Church came into existence. The Ark of God which you're going to hear about in this passage, it's very important that we understand what the ark of God represented. The ark of God was where the manifest glory of God's presence rested in the Old Testament. The ark was called the glory of Israel because it, it, God chose to dwell manifestly on the ark. God is omnipresent, which means he's all places at all times. There's nowhere where you can hide from God. But God's presence, God's face, God's manifestation of himself dwelt on the ark. A place for his presence. Point one, what do you want? David says, in the days of Saul, we didn't seek the ark. Let's bring the ark back. This is David has just, just been brought from Hebron to Jerusalem. He was a head over just Judah. Now he's going to be head over the whole thing. This is his inauguration speech. And he says, here's my plan. Here's what I want to lay out. Here's what I want to do for Israel. Let's get the ark back. 
Saul, in Saul's days, for, for the last 20 years that had been at the house of Abinadab, Saul knew it was there. He just never saw it. He never saw it as that important. He never saw it as a desire. It was not that Saul was not a religious man. He was religious. He asked for God's wisdom when, should we attack, shouldn't we attack? He wanted God's blessing and God's help, but he never asked for the ark. He never asked for the presence of God. And God will never force his presence on his people. It's too valuable to him. It's too precious to him. If you can live without the ark of God, without the manifest presence of God, then you will live without the presence of God. If your church can live without God's presence, then your church will live without God's presence. This is just how God set it up. He, he makes this offer to Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And he says, Moses, I am sending my angel before you. And th- you're going to get all the blessings, I promise. You're gonna, they're going to get into that land and you're going to have, uh, it's going to flow with milk and it's going to flow with honey. And you're going to experience all those wonderful things. And I'm sending an angel. And God genuinely offers it. God blesses everybody as much as he can. God is good all the time to everybody. And Moses says, no. If your presence doesn't go with us, then I'm not going. The heart of God starts beating a little faster. He says in... in, uh, we're on B now. He, he says in Exodus 33, this is where I just point and the verse comes up. Uh, maybe it's 34, 33, 34. He says, if you're pro- what else distinguishes us from the rest of the people on the face of the earth except your presence? It is your presence. You are, this is who we are. We're people of your presence. If you don't go with us, then we don't have the best part. The best part is not your blessings. The best part is you yourself. And then he says these words that I I believe God wants to release this into our hearts. If I have found favor with you, then show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. Show me your presence. Show me, we talked about the fire coming out. I want everything that you are. In Psalm 132, David, it's a whole psalm about making a place for his presence. He says, let my eyes not sleep nor will I lay down in my bed until I have made a place. He said, I I vow, I vow that I will make a place, a dwelling place for God on this earth. He is burning with it. First Chronicles 15, it says that David prepared a place for the ark and then he pitched, uh, he pitched by pitching a tent. He prepared a place on earth. Later on, it says that David, his heart was so full of this. He said, God, I want to make a temple. 
I want a place on earth to house your presence, that there would be a dwelling of God on earth. That David burned with this. So in Psalm 132, and you can read it yourself, he makes a vow to God, I'm going to make a place for your presence. Do you know what God does in response to David? David, God says back to David, you're making a vow to me for this? Okay, I'm making a vow back. I'm making, I'm swearing to you now, David. I'm making a promise to you. One, you're going to have a legacy. You're going to have fruit. Your fruit is going to last forever. I'm, you're, you're giving yourselves to my presence. I'm going to give myself to that you would have a lasting legacy. I'm going to make sure that there is an abundance a provision for you. And I'm going to make sure that you are clothed with the joy of salvation. Guys, when we want the right thing, it's not that you have to go without a hundred other things. God says, if you'll choose that, I, 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 there's nothing I will withhold from you. What do you want? 2005, in September of 2005, was when God first spoke to me about bringing Mad City and Lake City Church together and making City Church. And I journaled it and prayed about it. And in 2007, came to Mad City Church and but believed God was going to put the two churches together. And, and there were a few friends that had come to me independently, independent of me saying anything, that they thought the two churches should come together. And so they knew about it and were praying into it. And um, the end of 2008, we were on retreat. Our whole family was on a retreat. And uh, I had a dream. And in this dream... I am in a restaurant, but I actually told our men's group this recently. I'm in a restaurant with Alice, and it's, it's just a regular restaurant, but for whatever reason, everybody at all of the tables are Vietnam vets. There, I have no idea why, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, this place is filled with Vietnam vets. Alice and I are there. And, but it's just a regular restaurant. We're just having supper. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and, and just says, I want you to stand up. I want you to read a passage and I want you to pray for all these people. And I'm like, no. Lord, this is a restaurant. This would be so inappropriate. But I, I know that he's, he's asking this. So I'm just, I'm just in this mental thing in my dream. I'm like, you know, maybe this is God and maybe it's not. And, um, but I think it is. And therefore, I really want, I, I want to do this because I don't, it wasn't the fear that I would lose my sonship. It wasn't, there was no fear in it. It was a fear. I don't want to disappoint him. I really believe this is God. I don't want to be a, a disappointment. And I'm like, who cares? So I just, 
I just purpose that I'm going to do it in the most unobtrusive way as possible. So I stand up and I say, hey, could I just get everybody's attention? I just, I just want to read a passage. And I read the verse very quickly. I said, no, could we all just put our hands on our heart? And my eyes are already closed. Could we just put our hands on our heart? I'm just going to pray a very quick prayer. And I pray the shortest prayer. And I'm so, and the whole time I'm just feeling just, this is so weird. And I'm, I'm done praying and I'm about to sit down, but I open my eyes and people all over the room have got their hands on their heart and there's such a sincerity, but they're, 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 these two women are grabbing me because they're, they're by the door and they, they are just so sincere before God. And I, I walk over to them. And I say, uh, I say, no, no man can heal what is wrong inside of you. It, 2008, Barack Obama had just been elected on hope and change. And I said this, I said, no, no man, not even Barack Obama can heal what is inside of you. Only Jesus can heal you. And I put a hand out on these ladies and one of the ladies just fell out of her chair. But the glory of God came and just rested on this whole room and I woke up. And I'm, I've, got a, I've got a little history with Vietnam vets because we brought Dave Reaver to Faustin and, and he, his ministry, he explained why Vietnam vets are more broken and more PTSD times 10 is because not only did they fight over there and see all that, but when they came home, America was angry at them. I mean, it just messed them up. It messed them up inside. And I, it was just a very moving dream. And, but I mean, that's, it just, it just was what it was. I'm, I'm, I go into the other room. I'm having my quiet time. I'm in the middle of my quiet time. And the Holy Spirit asked me a question. And here's the question. What do you want? And I knew what he was asking. He was asking me, do I want city church? Or do I want to be in a place with God where what happened in that dream could happen? And I'm just like, are you kidding me, God? Are you kidding me? Are you, has this whole thing been an Isaac? That this has all been a test? That there isn't really going to be a city church? You're just wanting to know whether that's what I wanted? And, and if, if my heart is that I would have a big church and, and that I'd be well known and that we'd be the biggest church or the best church or the coolest church or, or if I want your anointing, you're asking me which I want? God, I'm taking you. I'm taking you. I'm taking you. I laid down city church. I don't need a church. I don't need a big church. I want you, Jesus. I called my two friends the next day. I said, city church is off. City church was just a test. It was just a test. It was a test of my heart. God wanted to know what am I about? Why am I sharing that? Because guys, it's, it hasn't changed. See, the goal for city church 
Actually, it's in that dream. The goal for City Church isn't even something that's going to happen in this building. It's you and I, normal people, regular people, bringing God's presence, bringing God's healing into the public sphere. That's the goal of City Church. This was the sentence I got this morning. The world needs more than what you're good at. It needs, it needs what God's good at. Here's, here's 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What that means is this. We are called to walk in more than what we're good at. Well, I've got a gift and I'm good at this and so that's my contribution to the human race and to the church. We need you to walk in more than what you're good at. We need you to walk in what only God is good at. He wants rivers of living water flowing out of our innermost being. Guys, there's nothing that can heal the brokenness of a Vietnam vet except the presence of God. Nothing. There's nothing in this world. There's no psychology. There's no counseling. There's no human wisdom that can heal. Only Jesus can bind up the brokenhearted. So, what, so Pastor Tom, where are we going? What is city church? Here's what we're not. We're not trying to be the biggest church. We're not trying to be the best church. We're trying to make a place for his presence to raise up people that can bring the glory of God out there. Guys, if this is about our church, we're going to get a bigger building and bigger building and, and, and get people, and your job is just to invite people to come here. Guys, that's addition. We'll never multiply that way. We've got to have a vision that I'm a carrier, that the plan was normal people, not spiritual people, not amazing people, normal people with normal lives carrying the very presence, the very healing, the very glory of God. Point two, the danger of discouragement. Second Samuel 6, 9 through 12. <clears throat> so they, they, they bring the ark. They're bringing the ark up. They're having a huge celebration. They've got musicians and dancers and the whole works is happening. It's extremely charismatic. And they've got the ark on this ox cart and the ox stumbles. The cart starts to tip and Uzzah reaches out his hand to steady the ark and immediately is killed by God. Here's David's response. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. David started out with a vision and then he got discouraged and he said, it's just too hard. How can I, br- how can I bring the presence of God? How can I make a place for the presence of God? God broke out on us. God didn't do it right. And uh, so he just decided he was going to do his life without it. 
If God's going to be like that, then I don't even need it. God doesn't have to be that close. God, everybody else has God at a distance. I don't need to have God that close. I'll just live like everybody else does. And then somebody came to him and said, David, um, you remember how we took the ark to the house of Obed-Edom? And uh, God's gone out of his way to show that his favor and his blessing is on that house. We don't even know how he made that known. But the goodness of God rested and was expressed on the house of Obed-Edom. And for the first time in his life, David was outside of God's manifest blessing and glory and favor. And it got him It got him going again. So, in the fall of 2009, I had a dream. And in this dream, I am... (laughs) I am supposed to, to set up the tabernacle, which is what held the ark, on this pallet... We're right on a seashore, and there's a ship coming to pick up the, the, uh, the tabernacle, and I am supposed to set it up, but it's been stolen, and I'm wrestling this guy who has stolen the tabernacle, and he's, he has no face, but I'm wrestling him, and, and I am weary, beyond weary. I can barely even lift my hands. I'm so tired of fighting him, and I, it, it's really, it's up in the air. Who's going to win? And finally, I, I, I elbow him. In the face. It was just a, it was a brawl. It was not a, a fair boxing. We, it was just claw, scratch, whatever. I elbowed him in the head and he went down. And, and I'm like, okay, I've got to hurry because he's going to wake back up again. I don't think I can fight anymore. And so he's got the whole tabernacles in this suitcase. And I grabbed this suitcase and scene one is over. Scene two, I've got the tabernacle set up on this pallet. And it's massive. I, don't get, ask me how it fit in that suitcase. That, that's, that's immaterial. <laughs> I've got it set up on the pallet. It's, the ship is on its way. It's going to pick up the tabernacle. But there is a problem. The ark isn't in the tabernacle. The, the whole purpose of the tabernacle is for the ark. The ark is the glory of the tabernacle. So I'm, I'm, now I'm frantic and I'm looking everywhere for the, for the ark. And now I'm checking in his backpack. I'm looking and I get this idea. Maybe we can sail without the ark because I, I can't have him wake up again. I know I'm, I can't fight anymore. I'm too tired. So I go down and there is a phone right at the seashore. I pick it up and I call the ship and ask if we can sail without the ark. And we are given permission to sail without the ark. And I hang up and I, here's how the dream ends. I think to myself, he never would have guessed that we would sail without the ark. I wake up. (laughs) My poor staff at Mad City. Because I am on a mission to find out what this dream means. And I've got all kinds of applications. You know, we're, we're neglecting God. We're not doing enough. We're not da-da-da-da-da. We, we were starting home groups at the time. And it's like, you know, this is the tabernacle. But we got to make sure the presence of God. And, and it was always everything else. And, but, but on the strength of the dream, I had decided to go take my family down to Kansas City. They have a one-thing conference every year at the end of the year. And, 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 and in 2009, they were, there was a time called 
called Awakening, where they were having special meetings. God was moving in special ways. And so I just, I'm just said, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that dream means, but I'm going, I'm going for four days and we're going to just be in the presence of God. And, and so we were down there four days. The, the services went from six till midnight every night. And I'm just, and I'm not judging it. There's all kinds of stuff going on. I'm not, I'm not caring what anybody else is doing or whether it's that God or the devil or the flesh or I could care less. I just, I just had to be with God. January 1st, 2010, I wake up and I know what the dream means. Had nothing to do with the Mad City staff. It was about me. When I came to Madison, I had a vision for the presence of God, for the ark of God, for revival. I rechose it at the end of 2008. I said, yes, God, this is who I am. This is what I want. But what happened was I just got worn down. So many difficult things happened and bad things happened and the church was splitting and shrinking and, 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 and I had just gotten so busy and trying to compete with other churches to get people to keep our people because we, it was slipping away and, and, and I had become exhausted. And I was in danger of sailing without the ark. Individually, but also as a church. Pastor Tom, God would never, ever let his church go without his presence. That's not true. Read Revelation chapter 3. Jesus is on the outside of a church knocking on the door, saying, I've got everything you need, everything you want, but you, you've, you, I'm shut out. And I, uh, I saw it. And I saw this is real. Here's what's scary. It doesn't matter what your theology is. My theology was for revival, but I wasn't actually living it. I wasn't making myself a place of his presence. And I wasn't leading a church that was making, we had a, 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 a theology of it, but we were living something very different than that. And I came back, I was just on fire. I don't really care that much about the church. I just, I am not going to lose this fire again. I'm not going to lose this. And so we had a staff meeting shortly after that. And I'm sharing with the staff. And one of the pastors says, Tom, we, we're all, we all know this is your, what makes you excited. And that's your vision. And that's cool. We're cool with that. We've all got our own vision. And that's your vision. I freaked out. I'm like, bro. If that is true, then I need to be at a a different church. If this is not your vision, then I need to go somewhere else. Or you guys need to go somewhere else. But it is not okay to have a different vision than this. And Brian Brian Montre says, (laughs) settle. (laughs) He's like, bro, it's not that we're not with you and that we don't want to go that way. It's just like you're 10 miles out in front of us. Help us. Help us to get there. I said, all right, all right. We're loading up my van next week. We're all going down to Kansas City. We're going to the awakening meetings. And we did that. I, 
I just want it to be perfectly clear what this church is about and where we're heading. Because this is where we're heading. If you're looking for something that's just a little add-on to your life, just a little once in a while, you check in and do your religious duty, this is not where you want to be. This is not where we're heading. This ship is going somewhere. And it's not going anywhere without the ark. Because this is the main event. His presence. Point three, last point. It's contending for more. You will notice on city churches, the back page, it says what, what we desire, I, I think maybe. I can't remember what it says. Just a second, I'll tell you what it says. Our desire. And number four is contend for more of God's presence. So David started contending for more, and then he stopped. And then he experienced life without the manifestation of God's presence and favor on him. And he decided, I don't want to live that way. (laughs) And so he reevaluated the whole experience of Uzzah. It turns out, 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 13 tell the exact same story, but they bring out different details. So let me, let me give you um, 2 Chronicles 6, verse 7. It says that God struck him down there, this is Uzzah, for his irreverence. They were seeking the presence of God. And wanted the presence of God. But in their irreverence, they ignored the word of God. They ignored the clear instructions that God had given about the ark and how it should be treated. In fact, the way they were bringing it up was on an ox cart, which is how the Philistines, the world, had sent it to them on an ox cart. God had given very clear instructions. The the ark is to be carried on poles. It is to be carried only by Levites and and no one is supposed to be even near the ark. And so they're bringing it up the wrong way, the wrong thing. And then somebody actually reaches out and touch it. And it is completely separate from the word of God. And folks, when you seek God's presence and seek God's gifts apart from God's word, you're going to end up blowing up. Any church that seeks to be charismatic and we're just going to just, we're just about and, and defining uh, the Holy Spirit as everybody gets to do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it without any honoring of the word of God, you're going to end up blowing up. And of course, that's happened a thousand times in this country. The fear of the Lord is very important. So David goes back. In 1 Chronicles 15, 13, they're bringing up the ark again. And he says, listen, this time we're going to do it the right way. We're going to carry it on poles. We're going to have the Levites. And he said, this is why God broke out on us the first time. is because we didn't do it in the prescribed way. And so they bring up the ark a second time. 
And once again, it's very celebratory. They've got the presence of God. But this time, it's laced with that sense of the fear of the Lord. And here's what it says in 1 Chronicles 15, 26. It says, God helped the Levites carry the ark. Do you know why the ark stumbled, the oxen stumbled, and the ark fell the first time? God wasn't helping. God can't help you when you're doing it your own way. God says, you want to do it your own way? I'll I'll back off. And because of human frailty, we're always going to fail when it's just us doing it our own way ourselves. It's, It's just eventually it will fail. Eventually you will stumble. Eventually you will end up, the very God who loves you and is good and wants to bless you, you're going to end up getting on the wrong side of him. But this gracious thing, We're still talking about failed, sinful, broken human beings. But because they're trying to do it the right way, it says they didn't stumble because God helped them. They were trying to do it God's way. And so God helped them do their part. Do you see why this is possible, folks? It is possible for us to be a place for his presence. It's possible for this church to be a place for his presence, even with us. Why? He can help us do our part. If we want the right thing and we're willing to put off discouragement, how many know there's a lot of discouragement in this world? Has anybody noticed that? What, What other people are doing, what the devil's doing, there's so many discouraging things that are happening. But if we will say to God, I want this and we will put off discouragement especially when it's our own life has become messy and instead of blaming God we return to the word of God and say God where how can I line up more with you God, I, I don't know how to line up with you, but I want to line up with your word. I want to honor your, that's why we stand every time when we read the Bible. I, we, we need to build an honor for the word of God. Even if we're not completely sure exactly how it applies in each situation, we want to follow the word of God. We want the fear of the Lord. We don't want to just do our own opinion. But there's one other thing that you need to embrace if you are going to if you're serious about contending for the presence of God and that is the stigma that the presence of God will produce Jesus said the world hates me and it will hate you but it's not just the world that's going to be upset second samuel chapter 6 i think it's verse 16 maybe Oh, thank you, guys. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. She despised him in her heart. Michael, David has eight wives which I'm not encouraging anybody (laughs) 
I'm not trying to encourage that. That was allowed at that time, but, but David in every way is a type of Christ. And so his bride is not made up of one, it's made up of many. Did you know that we are sons and daughters individually, but we're only a bride together? There's only one bride. We together are the bride of Christ. And part of David's bride despises in her heart the response, this public demonstration of dancing and excitement. Religion should be a private thing. Here's what she says to him. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Michael has got the exact same spirit of her father Saul. She is very concerned about what people think. She's very concerned about respectability and how everybody else is going to think it. And this, this was, it was just offensive to him that somebody would be so expressive and demonstrative and it was embarrassing to her. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, 2 Samuel 6, 23, and Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. To go without the presence of God is to be barren. There is part of the bride that was barren because she lived for the respectability of man more than she did for the anointing presence and glory of God. Well, praise God, Pastor Tom, that's the Old Testament. No, sorry. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. God says the mark of this day is I'm going to pour out my spirit on my sons and daughters, on my old and young men and women, and they are going to prophesy. There is going to be a nowness of my presence. There's going to be an intimacy where they will speak, not just about me, but from me. I am going to be speaking. I'm going to be pouring out. And there is a tremendous temptation to despise it because it's not perfect. And because it's coming through regular people, and I know those people, and they're just proud, or they're just arrogant, and who do they think they are? And, and it is very in vogue for the bride, for parts of the bride, to say, we don't want that. We just want the Bible. We don't want, we don't want the presence. It's too, it's weird. We don't, it's embarrassing. People raising their hands and excited and can't we just have it nice and ordered and listen controlled folks without the Holy Spirit we are barren you need to mark that down without 
Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. A Christianity without the Holy Spirit is a car without an engine. We need to make a place for the Holy Spirit. And, and honor the word of God. Jesus actually said this, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. You are an error because you know not the scriptures. That's the word of God, honoring the word of God, or the power of God. Don't look up there because I didn't give them this. This is a bonus. This is extra for you. I'm going to end with a story and then we're going to pray. In 1995, the end of 1995, there was an, a, a, a revival poured out uh, in Canada, in Toronto, and it was a mess. It was called the Laughing Revival by Time Magazine. And for months and months and months, this church in Toronto had meetings every single night. And people that came would, everybody that got prayed for would, would fall over and laugh. Sometimes laugh for hours at a time. And the American church had no idea what to do. And it was very, it's very hard for the American church that is so head-centered to listen to what was happening Because a lot of the people that were falling over and laughing for six hours had not laughed for two years. They had been depressed. They had been, a lot of them were ministers that had become so broken and so inward and so they just couldn't rise up. And God was healing people. He was giving them joy back. And so we took a group of nine from our church and... uh, (laughs) I just came into the building and you could feel the, the, the love of God. It was just in the air. It was just an amazing feeling. The presence of God was so strong in there. And then what happened to our team that week? There, it was impossible to be critical of any of the, quote, manifestations because somebody in our group experienced everything. We had people shake, fall, cry, fall, uh, laugh, groan. Everything that could be weird happened to our group. And I, we knew our group, so it wasn't like anybody was faking it. This was just, this is just what happened when we were down there. So I'm on my way back, and I am, as a pastor, I am so disturbed. Because I know God calls us sheep. Sheep are very fearful. And I'm like, God, uh, this, of course, this is going to be rejected. It's, it's terrifying. So many things are happening and things you can't explain are happening. And, and how could this be you when it is so, it's so uncontrolled how you're touching people. And I read John Arnott's book called The Blessing of the Father. I read the whole book cover to cover and it didn't help me at all. I'm like, this didn't help. This didn't answer any question. And then it occurred to me, we have four kids, they were little at the time, that I had gifts for all four kids that I was bringing home. We always had a a thing when, when I got home from a trip where they would close their eyes and I would put the gift on their lap and they would, they would open it, they would open their eyes and there it was and they would be excited. And uh, so the question came, why are those, why are those gifts safe? Is it, is it because they know what they're getting and somebody has explained to them what they're getting or is it because of love that they're safe? 
Luke chapter 11, verse 13 came to my mind. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And the the, the tense is ask and continue to ask. This is not a one-time gift. This is an unveiling of the the gifts God has that he, he longs to impart to human beings. And then a sentence came, a brutal, brutal sentence. Here was the sentence. You leaders have tried to make my people safe through control, and you've taken the surprise out of church. You leaders have sought to make my people safe through control, and you have taken the surprise out of church. Did you know the number one problem in the church in America today is not pornography? Do you know, do you know what the number one problem in the church in America is? Boredom. Boredom. Do you know that God is alive? God, God is a father who wants to communicate with his children. He has gifts for his children that he's, they, they awaken intimacy. I understand difficult, bad things, hard things have happened. God loves us so much, he also allows discipline in our lives. But this isn't because he doesn't love us or that he's not good. He is all good and he's all for us. So here's here's how I want to end today. If we could have the worship team come back up. Could we stand, please? So I have two questions for you in, in, in conclusion. Number one question is, is a simple question. What do you want? What do you want? <laughs> not, not, not what do you say you want or what you should want. What do you really want? It's really important that we analyze that. And if we want the wrong thing, it's time to say, God, let your fire come and purify. Purify. I want to want the right thing. Guys, the world, the world has seen already a divided church. The world has already seen a materialistic church. The, the world's already seen an angry church. You know what the world's waiting to see? A beautiful church that's carrying the very presence and healing of God everywhere they go. A church that's not arrogant, but is confident. And so that's the second question. 
First question is, what do you want individually? Because it's really important for your life. If you will say, I'm going to be about this. I'm going to make a place for his presence. I'm going to reorder my life around being a place for his presence. Read Psalm 132. There's nothing God won't do for you. If you will make a place for him, you do not need to worry about what's going to happen to you. So here's the second question. Second question is, what do you want? But it's corporate you. What do you, as City Church, want? (laughs) Pastor Tom, we're just glad you're excited. Okay, well then we'll never have revival. David got all of the generals, all the people got together. Do we want to do this? Do we, is this in our heart? God, God is fixing to do something amazing in 2017. But you, if you're a spectator, it, it, then it doesn't work. This can't be the, well, the staff. We love the staff here. It's not about the staff. It's about all of us. So what we're going to do to close in response to these two questions, we're going to turn the lights down. We're not going to have any ministry teams up here. We're just going to open the altar. And you don't have to come up to the altar to respond, but I'm going to ask you to to listen. Listen to your own heart if you need to confess something or bring something to the cross. Do you know what it says, guys? It says that he will give us beauty, his beauty for our ashes. You can give him everything that burned last year, everything that is burned out. I'd give God my burnout. I was just burned. I was just tired. I just got tired. It wasn't that I didn't love Jesus. I just got tired. And he gives us his beauty for our ashes. And then the other response, so we're going to open this up and I'm going to just ask that fellowship would be outside. And I totally understand if you have to go, please, you're going to have to get your kids here in a few minutes. Um, I'd like to sing this song together. But then if you need to go, go. But if you can hang out or bring your kids back this week. The real response to this morning is this week. I'm, I'm really encouraging you to set the rudder for 2017 towards being a place for his presence to purpose, I'm going to be a place for, my, for his presence. Then, my family, my family is going to be a place for, what is the answer for the youth? I'll tell you what the answer is. They need to become a place for his presence. Nothing else will work. You can give them a hundred rules and send them to ALCS and get them to memorize a hundred things. Guys, if they don't become and choose to become a place of his presence, it's not going to last. We've got all kinds of proof about that. Let them participate. Bring them up. Well, they might, you know, they might play around in the sanctuary. Fine. At least they're here. We will let a lot go this week. If you want to bring your family here to wait on God and to be with us, we will let a lot go. All right, I'm, I'm praying. I'm talking too much. Lord, please. I did my best, God. Would you help us to own what you are speaking to us? Lord, would you lead each one 
each adult, each child this week as they consider what could I let go of so that I could not be putting the Father's voice in voicemail anymore? What could I let go of so that I could, I could take those calls? Lead us, I pray in Jesus' name.